And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 255, aka Year 6, Week 5, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with... Uh, Ken Schooland. And... MC. Oh, good. You, for a minute there, I thought I was doing the show alone. I, I, I thought we were talking to each other, I guess. All right. Uh, as always, this is a call-in show. Uh, so those numbers for you to dial, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Special guest, Ken Schoolin. Always a pleasure to have you. Always a surprise uh, when I hear that you're going to be, because <laughs> we don't do we don't do much uh, pre-show here. It's like you know, turn on the mics, turn on the recording, and go. Um, so it's, it's you know, it's always it's always nice. Um, but we did get a little bit of talking during the during the lead up to you know hitting that button uh, just to catch up a little bit, Ken, because I don't get to see you as often sure, as I used sure. to. And I, obviously, we don't get to talk as much as we otherwise could. Um, and we kind of got into the, the topic of, uh, VPNs, um, because I use one on a regular basis and because of the long distance, uh, between, uh, myself in New Hampshire and you guys in Hawaii, uh, I can't use the, the normal server that I normally would. So I have to pick a local server to, to, you know, to minimize that ping time. Uh, so we got to talking about VPNs. Um, and then you brought up something interesting, Ken, and that's, you know, you may not be knowledgeable, uh, of VPNs, you know, services, but you do use it, uh, when you travel out of the country, which happens, uh, more often than I do, or maybe MC. Uh, so, you know, we were saying like, well, why would you use it? I, I use it because I pirate things. Um, you said to circumvent the government, man, I think that's a much more important <laughs> thing to be doing. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and just uh, sh- share your experience, uh, with using VPNs and, and why you find that necessary when you're out of the country. Well, actually, maybe not everybody is familiar with VPN I, and, and, and what it means and what it does. So maybe you'd want to start off with that. I, I know that probably most of your listeners are going to be people who are very familiar with it. I assume people uh, are smart, but okay. Yeah. So v, v, VPN, virtual private network, I won't get into the, the technicalities of it. Um, but for the, for the layperson, it basically uh, tricks the internet uh, into thinking you're someplace you're not. So right now I'm I'm my VPN is turned on to Western Canada even as I sit here uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, so anything anything I do online, if they're tracking where my signal is coming from, uh, it's some server that my VPN host has in in Western Canada. And so it's the only not just not just location, but I guess uh, it it um, scrambles the ID of you. Is that correct too, or do you still have the same ID? That's basically the location. So the only person that knows my uh, ID or, you know, for, for internet lingo, it's the IP address, uh, is the VPN server, right? Like I, I still have uh, a local IP address and they get that, but they're the only ones that get that. So when you're choosing a VPN, it's important to choose one that doesn't share that information with the authorities or doesn't have access to that information to share with the authorities. Um, and so, you know, when, when selecting yours, like I'm, I'm, fairly confident uh, that the one that I use doesn't do that, right? They, they don't know. Uh, I mean, they, they obviously know who I am because I, I make the payments, um, but they don't keep that information on their service. So if, you know, if the, if the government came looking to say like, Hey, who's the, what's all this traffic coming through here? They wouldn't be able to give it to them. Um, and I typically use, you know, the, the Scandinavian servers, right? Uh, either Luxembourg or, uh, uh, oh, what's the other one? I just had it. Anyway, Luxembourg or, you know, uh, somewhere in Scandinavia because they have uh, more lax uh, IP laws. So they don't really care if you're, you know, if you're violating intellectual property. Uh, and so I, I use those to, you know, to, to pirate movies and TV shows and sporting events and the whatnot um, because that's, that's what good anarchists do. Uh, <laughs> and I don't feel bad about it at all. Uh, but they, you know, I, I used to do that without a VPN and, you know, have gotten the, the takedown warnings when they started to crack down. And it was, you know, it was riskier before, but there was a lot less enforcement. Um, nowadays, there's a lot of enforcement, right? I just saw someone post online, you know, that, hey, we just started to download this. And like immediately upon starting the torrent, I got the takedown notice from Comcast. And I go, yeah, I've been there, you know, so um, uh, on our uh, on our drive over here from... 
um, from California when we first made the move. We stopped off in Colorado. And, you know, so I'm like, I'll just turn on the VPN, download my TV show. Um, But I left my computer on and it rebooted. And when it rebooted, it didn't. Right. Yeah. uh So the, 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 the torrent program ran, the VPN did not run. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, family members like, why am I getting this email from, from, you know, Comcast saying I, I'm downloading stuff illegally. And I had to like calm her down and explain to her that, sorry, it was number one, it was me. Uh, number two, you get plenty of warnings. So don't worry about this one. We're leaving in a day. I won't turn my computer on anymore until I figure out how to, you know, how to prevent this. Um, so now there's like, there's extra precautions that I do to, to make sure that it's not, um, not running without my permission. So like I, my, uh, internet connection, uh, if it drops, doesn't reconnect at all. Like I have to, I have to, you know, turn that back on, um, which means when my computer reboots, um, there's no internet connection at all. Uh, the VPN software has, you know, things on there that says like, you know, uh, if, the, if you, if the VPN isn't running, just sever all connections, uh, you know, immediately. So precautions are taken and some, yeah, sometimes it slips up, right? It's not, it's not foolproof. It's not a hundred percent, but for, you know, for, for what it does and for the amount of stuff that I pirate, that's, it works for me. Other people, you know, use other services. Um, they call it sandboxing where they, you know, they, they download it to an, uh, another server, uh, you know, the VPN service that sandboxes it, and then they download it directly to their computer from there. Uh, that's a lot more money, and I'm not going to do that uh, at this point in time. Well, if they start to crack down even good more. good to be familiar with because um, the reason I got introduced to it was because uh, traveling in China, um, I realized that I couldn't get any access to Gmail or Facebook or uh, my normal communications. And I, I found, well, it's very easy to just do this VPN. Every, everybody was advising me to do it. Easy so and illegal. Been, well, it uh, after I started it, then it became illegal. Um, I mean, so far as I know, they, they just blocked Google and Facebook, but people everywhere were using the VPN. But then they realized that everybody everywhere was using VPN, so then they made it illegal. Um, so I haven't figured out what I'm going to do next summer, whether I'll still use it or just sort of give up access to those things. But it's it's good to be familiar with because um, one can't help but think that the United States or any country in any country uh, is going to be much more increasingly uh, intervening. And I think that I'm worried about the, the greater extremities of, of uh, society and that, um, you know, draconian measures can become worse and worse. I've just been recently been reading about uh, William Shire's book, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and I'm just aghast at, the, at how horrendous the um, life was under the Nazi terror, under the Stalin terror, uh, in, under Mao's uh, rule. And I can't help but think that there's something in the nature of human beings that could lead us, um, even in Western democratic countries, into... Uh, draconian systems in the future what do you think uh you want to take that one first mc nope okay uh, <laughs> here's here's what i think i think the model for that is north korea where how bad can it get pretty goddamn bad um and i think part of that is the biological imperative within human beings to stay alive right Nobody wants to die. Most, I take that back. Most people, the average person, doesn't want to die. And they will put up with a load of shit in order to stay alive. Right? Government encroaches. You know, bullies bully. Uh, you know, muggers mug. Right? You know, that sort of thing. And it's always like, well, how do I get out of this without, without you know, uh, putting myself in harm's way? So you get bullied, you take the bullying, they steal your lunch money, you get mugged, you give up your wallet, right? You get taxed, you pay your taxes because the alternative is a risk on your life, right? To, to fight back, put you in harm's way, put your, rice, put your life in jeopardy, and the average person doesn't want to do that because the alternative is death. So they, they take it, they take it, they take it, and they take it as far as 
the North Koreans have gotten to this point. Like, that's the worst example on the planet right now. And they don't fight back. And at some point, it gets to the point where, how are they even able to fight back, right? There, there's like, there's there's a corner that gets turned where uh, you, have the, uh, you have the means and ability to fight back, but it's not worth risking your life. Uh, and then they start to encroach even further and you go, well, I'm still alive. Well, you know, I can deal with a little bit more. And the government continues to encroach until the point where you're no longer able to fight back. You don't have the means to fight back. And you're just, you, then you're just living a pained life until death befalls you anyway. Uh, but I do think, I personally think it's that biological imperative to stay alive that allows for a lot of that encroachment uh, because most people don't want to risk their lives uh, to get some of that freedom back. Even beyond that, it, yes, I think that you're right, that people are, are fearful. Um, but it's not just fearful for what could happen to themselves, but to loved ones. You know, that's always the, the hold that governments have over or the population. I think uh, without those personal family connections, there would be much more of a fighting back, pushing back. It's just this thought that, oh, they can get at people that I love as well. And that's, that's tremendously restraining. I mean, how many people have not fought back against tyranny because they were uh, trying to shield their, their loved ones. Yeah, I, I totally understand that too. Uh, at the same time, wouldn't it be nice to have loved ones standing side by side with you in that fight as opposed to like, you know, cowering in the corner hoping that you're going to protect them or that you're not going to do anything stupid to put them in harm's way, right? Yeah. Like I, I'd rather work on convincing my loved ones that they should be fighting side by side with me rather than, you know, you know, it's not like the leave the women and children at home and I'm going, you know, we're going to go out and, and, you know, hunt down some government agents, um, <laughs> you know, you how take them hunting I, with you. How ironic this phenomena is, you know, it's normal impulse to say, leave the women and children at home. I'm going to go out and fight. But what does Congress do whenever there's war? Leave the, the adults and, and mature citizens at home and send off the young <laughs> you know, uh, draft them, send the young men to to fight who haven't given it any thought. That's it still persists in uh, in uh, today, even though we don't have an active military draft. I mean, it still is on the books and exists in a lot of places around the world. And I have a feeling that if there was a a big alarm that came up, it wouldn't be but an instant before they'd be calling for the reinstate, reinstatement of the draft. And it's always. You know, not even an animal sends its young off to do its fighting for it. But human beings have been accustomed to that uh, for, I would say, in more recent times. I think in ancient times, they they didn't expect the young to do the fighting. They expected the the older and more mature, the more experienced, the more skilled uh, to be at the head of the of the fight instead of um, expecting the children to take the, the lead. Well, I think part of that is because, you know... It- the the way of war has changed i guess is one way to put and there you know the the children outnumber the elders right unless you're you know for the most for most generations uh upcoming right parents you know parents have more children than they are themselves right like the the one to two family household might be coming back um but with the you know with the baby boomers and whatnot um there's always there's always more kids and if you're going to put them through the machine, the machinery of war, especially an American war where you're not really defending the homeland anymore, right? You have to find the, the people who are more easily manipulated, right? You're not going to convince a 40-year-old farmer that he needs to like fly to Afghanistan uh, to take out some goat herders in order to protect his farm, right? But you can exactly. convince his son that he can make a living doing that. Uh, and and no longer have to farm the land that his father did, uh, because hey, we're the government and we can give you you know free college and a free job and all you got to do is go all the way over there and fight this battle for us. Yes, the young are idealistic, passionate, have not the experience to challenge and question as much as the older. So yeah, of course they're the the cannon fodder, um, but it also is an interesting phenomena of recent. Uh, past 100 or 200 years, the fact that uh, governments have become, well, no, not just in re- all throughout history, but more so in recent history, that they they could fight a war without asking the people to actually pay for it. 
because they always turned to money printing to pay for the wars, and then they um, uh, fob off the the cost of it after the war when people trying to, um, you know, cover the cost of inflation and so on. But wars are so easy throughout history. Whenever governments wanted to fight a war, they just printed up money. But if they didn't have that ability to print money, if they actually had to tax everybody, then you'd find out whether people really valued this war. And they, I think that they, I contend that they would only do so if it was truly a defensive war and their own interests were, were really at stake. But right now you can fight wars. There's no per- personal cost to people that they see. Um, that's part of it right there. Stop right yeah. there because that's, that's the big thing. There's no personal cost that they see, right? The, the, the money printed, the inflation that comes after it still is a cost to them individually. They just, they just don't see it, right? They that's see right. the prices go up in the grocery store, but they have no way to attribute that. There's no, like, there's no quick connection uh, to that being a result of the overseas foreign policy and the wars going on and the inflation needed to, to cover those costs. Exactly. I think it was, uh, it was Keynes who was quoting Lenin saying that, uh, uh, the, the, the best way to secretly and unobserved confiscate the wealth of a whole population is by undermining the value of the currency and, uh, not in a single man, not, not a million in a, in a million understands the process of it. But the one in the million is uh, is in the government with the printing press, and they understand it very well. And then th- those of us who value freedom and liberty, you know, look like nuts trying to convince other people that this is truly what's going on, right? It's a conspiracy theory to suggest, uh, you know, that the 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 debt and the inflation is war related, uh, and try to convince them that you know we don't need that war because they go like, what do you, what do you think? You know, this this is how this is why we're free because those people are fighting over there, so we don't have to fight them over here. And God bless America and all that other nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't make the connection, right? Mm-hmm. It and and the people in the government pass it off. Uh, you know, the rising the rising prices isn't an inflationary issue. It's greedy businessmen at the top, right? You just want to raise prices for no good goddamn reason, uh, just so they can make more money off of you. And if you just vote for us, right, then, then, you know, we can stop them from doing that. Uh, and again, missing out on the entire connection on how that occurs in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So what to do about it? How do you, how do you let people become aware of the fact that, uh, this ability to print money is what actually makes it so easy to fight wars all around. Um, Unnecessary. By the way, not just wars, but unnecessary wars. Because I think that people, if they really felt threatened, if they really felt uh, in a defensive mode, that they would pay for it out of pocket. In fact, that's when they volunteer and they sacrifice a a lot. But when it's remote, when it's uh, not at all a threat, when it's aggressive or tyrannical against their own people, um, they wouldn't pay for it. Willingly. See, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't care, right? Like that's, that's not something that concerns me anymore. You know, if, if the vast majority of people uh, want to allow those things to happen to them, want to allow their currency to be inflated, want to allow the, you know, the, the results of that inflation tear down their standard of living, uh, fine, right? Because I moved, I moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. Uh, not everyone uh, in the Free State Project agrees on all the things. However, uh, there's a, there's there's enough of us here um, who are into alternative currencies, uh, most prominently, you know, cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin, Dash, Edge, and the like. And certain areas of the state, uh, you can conduct quite a bit of business uh, in those currencies, right? That you know, you you just convert convert your dollars to crypto. Um, and then go on with living, right? They, they can, in, you know, the, if they can't really inflate uh, the cryptocurrency as quickly as they can inflate the the Federal Reserve notes. Uh, so I don't worry about it, right? You go like, well, if if you if you're living your life in Federal Reserve notes, right? Figure it out and change, or no longer my problem because I'm I I I I can get out uh, just as easily as the next guy living here. Well, I see your point, and I agree to a, to an extent that yes there's ways that you have to shape your own life to avoid uh, 
the uh, the main you know the mainstream tragedies because you can't necessarily stop it all. But on the other hand, the outside world does affect you. I mean, yes, you use bitcoins, but I'm guessing that uh, when you go to the grocery store, um, you still buy groceries in the inflated dollars, and uh, and 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 if there's if there's a uh, chaos and and um, trauma in the in the society, it's going to come down. And it, I think it you can't isolate yourself from the consequences of a of a world run amok. Like Matt, Matt, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about how people were trying to live their own lives, uh, all and yet. The, the 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 Soviet tyranny became so pervasive, so totalitarian. Uh, you know, you're affected when the state turns against the mass. When um, in the Ukraine in the 1933, I think in 1932-33, when uh, they decided to cut off all food, take all the food away, export it to abroad, seven million people just died of starvation. And it didn't matter if you were isolated from the community; you were going to die too. Right, and so, and you you're correct on a large scale. What I'm suggesting is that at least here, on a smaller scale, a lot of that can be mitigated. Uh, so even before I moved here, what I would tell uh, coworkers, you know, because b- before I got into crypto, was big into like you know the metals, right? Could never really afford gold. Had a bunch of silver at one point in time, and what I would you know when I was having these conversations with coworkers back then. Uh, the the phrasing that I used was convert to something of higher value, right? Like mm. don't hold dollars any more than you have to. And what the the pushback I got a lot then was, well, I have to buy food, I have to put gas in the car, I have to buy clothes. And I go, good, then you're already doing it, right? Because obviously you value food, clothes, and gas more than you value dollars, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't <laughs> make that trade. Yeah, right. Point. So yeah. you you already you already got the idea. Convert to higher value. Um, what you don't want to do is have excess dollars that remain unconverted. Right. Any more any more than like the you know the the liquidity that you need to to keep those purchases going on a regular basis. Right. So convert all the excess into something of higher value. For me at the time, it was silver. For those that can afford it, it's gold. Uh, now it's crypto. Uh, and you know again, even here, like gold is coming back. But one of the benefits about being here within the community um, is that, yes, you're right. At the grocery store, it's definitely dollar bills. But there are certain shops, right, that sell food in certain areas that take crypto, right? They're set up for it. They already do it. So, you know, are, are you going to get like, you know, your, your five pounds of hamburger meat uh, cheap uh, from the grocery sure. store? No, but, you can, but can you go get... You know, can you go get a, a, a few slices of, of meat from the butcher who takes crypto? Absolutely. Right. Uh, because, you know, again, because this is New Hampshire, there are there are uh, farmers and farmland uh, and, and people that, you know, do the growing of things that are members of the Free State Project. Right. They're they're community members. Uh, and every, you know, once a month uh, here in, in Manchester, where we live, they do a market day. Right. And at market day, guess what they take? Crypto, right? So they they bring in their pork and their beef and their chicken and their eggs and, you know, the vegetables and whatever they're growing and they they sell it to community members for, you know, for whatever you're willing to exchange it with. Uh, Me me and another buddy, uh, we make fun of uh, another mutual acquaintance because everywhere we go, like if he's there, at some point during the conversation, he will offer to trade. Right, he doesn't say buy for me. He said, "Would anybody? He would. Would anybody like to trade?" And it's like, "Well, what do you got?" He said, "What do you want?" You know, and so you know, he's got precious metals. If you want to trade metals, uh, he's got drugs. If you want drugs, you know, edibles, you know, he can. He's got them, and he and he trades with them. Shiny badges, if that's your thing. Uh, if you're looking to buy crypto, right? He's got he's got crypto to trade, right? So he's like. And, you know, we, we make, we, you know, we kind of tease him because again, everywhere, every time he's there, you know, that there's going to be a trade table open up someplace. Right. Uh, but good on him 
for you know always for being consistent number one for always being willing to trade number two and for pushing it right because that's how that's how he gets paid right i don't know how he gets the edibles but if you give you know if you give him crypto for edibles uh, now he's got more crypto and you've got your edibles right if you if you want silver and you've got some crypto and you want to you know build a you know, want to diversify into silver uh, you give him crypto you got silver you know and vice versa if you want to trade the other way if you got crypto that he's looking to purchase he'll he'll make a deal off you and he negotiates, right? He go, he go like, how much? He's like, well, I'm asking this. What do you want to offer me? You know, and somewhere in the somewhere in the middle they meet. Uh, most people don't really haggle him down as as I've witnessed. Um, he's just like, all right, that sounds that's already a fair deal. Let's go ahead and make that trade. So there's there's plenty of trade opportunities within the local community where uh, you might not be able to uh, sustain yourself 100. percent uh, you know, you know, for, for that. Um, but if it means like, you know, only going to the market 10% of the time and only buying 10% of your fruits and vegetables and, and food and whatnot, um, in dollar bills, well, you're, you're, you're 90% of the way there. Right. So it's all about the, the community that you surround yourself with right now. And, and to answer your other, uh, point, Ken, um, well, eventually, uh, if the government gets bad enough, then you just you just have to leave, or you know, or die with everybody else. So, <laughs> and gold like is making idea. a comeback here. Yeah, yeah. Right. I do Utah, like the Utah idea. Utah started of, it, mm-hmm. and now they're bringing it here. Go ahead, Ken. No, I mean I I do like the idea of trying to um, take advantage of whatever your skills and talents are to try and resist the tyranny in the first place. I think I would hate to have been. Uh, in Germany in, let's say, 1939, saying, gee, why didn't I do something in 1929 to stop this guy and this movement? You know, uh, how much easier it would have been to push back then when there was a relatively greater measure of freedom than after freedom is gone. And that's what I'm thinking in terms of, um, you know, not just preparedness for the, the crisis, but trying to prevent the crisis because it, it, it affects you and, and your loved ones uh, and the whole of the future. And it can get out of control really fast. I, I mean, look at this uh, coronavirus scare. I mean, how you look around yourself, and uh, I, I personally don't think that it's uh, worth this kind of scare mentality, but I'm observing the, the, the panic that people feel. And if they feel this way over, over this... Um, it doesn't take much to send a whole population into a massive frenzy of panic. And that's what's worrisome. Uh, well, so you need to But then it's just a the- control mechanism, right? If it's that easy to send the population into a panic, and then you're the government, you can easily scare the population into a panic on a whim, right? And then offer them the only solution viable, you know, which is something the government says has to be done, Right. In China, mm-hmm. was it quarantines everywhere? Uh, that there, there was mm-hmm. there was there was a, a cruise line somewhere, right? That didn't even have a coronavirus patient on 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 board, uh, but couldn't dock anywhere. They get, kept getting turned away because of the fear behind it. Uh, you know, they're like, "Ah, hey, we're running out of food and supplies. Someone's got to let us stop somewhere. This is going to be a mess." Uh, I I forget where they ended up landing, but yeah, they but they did. They finally got. They finally were allowed to port somewhere and you know unload some passengers. Uh, but if it's that easy, right, then it's always the government solution. In China, it's quarantine. And then again, turn citizens against each other, right? Because if you just, if you cough weird, right, like put them in a quarantine, right? Take away his rights, take away his liberty, keep them under, you know, 14 day observation or longer, right? Remove them from society because you're scared. Um, and, and the real question is like, what are you doing to prevent it in your own life? Right. What precautions are you taking to make sure that you don't encounter anyone with the virus uh, and that should you have to go out uh, and encounter someone? Are you taking precautions to protect yourself? Right. Are you wearing the mask? Are you taking your vitamins? Right. Are you only going to, you know, reputable areas where, you know, the, the, the population density isn't all that high where you're going to run into a lot of people? What are you doing? You know what I mean? Hmm. So I think, you know, people, people in general just need to take responsibility for that. When it first happened, you know, uh, we, we made fun of him. Um, I was out in, uh, in Keene to do the free talk live radio show 
and one of the the housemates of uh, in the studio, you know, came down wearing his painter's mask. And we're like, really, dude? He's like, oh yeah, you know, people don't know this, these things are selling out everywhere, and people don't know that the surgical masks, the rating on the surgical masks, uh, are similar to that on the painter's mask. Like the painter's mask has the same rating, so even though mm-hmm. the surgical masks were being sold out everywhere, you could still get the painter's mask that did that, that was equally protective, right? So like, I got I got a bunch of these, you know, and like, are you really that you know, are you really that concerned? He's like, oh, I'm not taking any chances, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, and then like a day or two later, it's like the first case of coronavirus hits New Hampshire. Like, well, I guess he was right. You know what? I, I was not taking precautions. I don't really care. Drink some orange juice. There was a dude that came on free talk live and said like, you know, the, the best way to protect yourself from coronavirus is to drink your own urine. We laughed at him, you know, <laughs> as, as well, cause that's a, sounds absurd. Don't know the science behind it. Wasn't about to get into it. Uh, but sure, you know, so if, if that's what he thinks, you know, prevents it personally, I'd just drink some more orange juice, take some more vitamins, be as healthy as I uh, can. I guess, stay away from I guess what he, what he meant by that is, uh, if it's yellow in color, then drink it. Orange juice, urine, uh, it's all the same because it's I yellow. He's like, you guys know how to cure this, right? And I went, orange, orange juice, you know, and he went, no, but close, you know, urine, drink your own pee. Well, that's another point that's worth mentioning. The fact that people will suddenly and quickly believe something that another person tells them with confidence. You know, oh, urine will cure, uh, will prevent uh, disease. Uh, I mean, you know, if if someone tells you that with a with a straight face and in all confidence, a lot of people just pick up on on rumor, on gossip, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I suspect that that's behind a lot of uh, mass scares. But also, it's just as important to be able to resist it and debunk it with fervor, you know, yeah. to be able to put it down with as much. I mean, it might have been a good idea to, to laugh this guy uh, through and say, well, why do you believe drinking your own urine? You know, get him to explain it. No, I mean, you could he, say with the did. same enthusiasm, well, hitting your head against the wall will will uh, prevent disease if you hit it hard enough, uh, long enough. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, challenge them. And so it's always good to push back on people with outrageous ideas. And you do. I know that's what you, um, that's your stock and trade. <laughs> the, yes. The, 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 the problem, the general problem I have with like health issues in, in discussing that uh, is I understand that placebo works, right? Yeah, good point. So, so yeah. if placebo works, anything above placebo can work, right? It may not work with the effectiveness of some of the more uh, scientifically uh, meted out Western prescriptions, right? But, but if placebo works, drinking your own urine might have a chance, right? So, so it is, it's laughable to me, not about to do it. I'll find something else. Uh, but if it works for you, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to suggest otherwise. Uh, you know, that being said, I did, you know, I had an, another uh, week this week where I lost a friend on Facebook. Oh my gosh, how tragic it is. Uh, because he, he posted some nonsense about, you know, 5G towers. He's like, what do you guys think about 5G? I went, don't believe the FUD. You know, the, don't, don't, don't get, don't, uh, don't fall into the fear mongering. Uh, he goes like, well, did you even watch the video? I'm like, no, because I've, I've read the studies. Like I've, I've seen all the information, uh, you know, what, whatever, whatever you've got in the video is going to be nonsense. Uh, and he went, well, you, you really shouldn't comment on things if you don't really, if you haven't watched, watched the video, I went, well, as, as long as you're going to have public comment, I'm going to comment on whatever the fuck I want, you know? And he took offense to the F word. Uh, he's like, you really shouldn't, you know, this is not always about you. You know, I don't have to do that. I'm, well, this is clearly about me because you addressed me specifically. Uh, if you don't like it, block me, right? Like, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> and then I dropped a couple more F-bombs uh, just to, to prove a point. Um, and then he didn't block me. He deleted my comment. So I went uh, <laughs> double-checked on it, you know, called him a chicken shit pussy because that's what I do, <laughs> right? You know, if, if, if you're deleting comments because you don't like the F-bomb, that's a, that's a chicken shit pussy move. And you let me know. If you're acting like a chicken shit pussy over this, let me know and I'll go ahead and block you. If this is an algorithm problem and they accidentally deleted my comments, I'll just repost the F-bombs, uh, you know. And 
checked on it again, gone. So blocked, blocked from him. So I, you know, I, I went ahead and handled that, but like, I don't care. Right. You know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to get into like the fear of, you know, technological advances. And the other thing was like other people had already said like, yeah, everything in the video has been debunked, right? Whatever, whatever fear or concerns you have about this is unwarranted. Um, and they were more cordial about it. I jumped straight to the point. Uh, cause that's what I do, right? I'm, I'm, I'm abrasive and I get it. I don't really care. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, so, so even that, the, the fear of 5g, right? Every, everyone wants high speed internet, uh, all times, wherever you are. And then here comes the fear, right? It's, it's radiation and it's going to get you. Uh, you know, well, pr- probably not, right? There's more towers going up everywhere. Well, because it's a shorter throw, you know, it's, it's, there's the, the technology behind it dictates that there must be more towers. Otherwise, you're not going to get coverage everywhere. You're going to get coverage in very small localized areas uh, because that's just that's how the technology works. Right. Uh, but the fear mongers come out. They, they uh, whip people into a fervor. Um, they scare people with all these, you know, nonsense videos and, and posts and, you know, on social media. Uh, and like you said, Ken, it's so easy to get people whipped up and, and, and scared and fearful. That, that's all they need to do. Right now, the, now there's a backlash against everyone wanting 5G because why do you want to kill the entire population with your silly technology? And they want to throw us back to the Stone Age, right? It's not environmentally friendly, so let's let's all go back to fucking picking berries and hunting rabbits. <laughs> Poor rabbits. <laughs> Duck season. <laughs> but you see my point. Right. Oh yeah, it, it, it's the history of human change that that uh, uh, I think I read once that the guy that first invented the the, the steamboat uh, thought this is fantastic. This is uh, we can go up against the wind, up against the currents, and at any time as we choose. When he landed at the first dock, the the sailors there at the dock burned his boat to the waterline, and they didn't have another boat for more than eighty years. Jesus, with a steam engine on it. And that's a, a common phenomenon. People are fearful of of change. Um, Nuclear energy is another one, right? How how much more efficient would energy be for all the environmentalists if you just let you know small nuclear reactors get put up in relatively safe locations, right? More bang for your buck, pretty safe. Well, that, forty uh, fifty years behind the technology now. I I. Could feel more confident about nuclear energy if I felt that it wasn't shielded by such things as the Price-Anderson Act that eliminated uh, 99.5% of the liability for these um, uh, nuclear uh, power stations. If they had to carry the full um, uh, weight of of the liability and waste disposal for nuclear power plants. I'd say, oh, you know, let them compete. But then every energy industry seems to have its subsidies. I think the oil and and um, petroleum industry has massive subsidies just by the, the military interventions that shield them around the world and uh, the tax breaks and so on. And wind and power have their... Uh, outrageous uh, subsidies. They, they're they all playing a game in Washington to try and favor one kind of energy over another. And I really don't know what it would look like if it was totally free market. Um, wish it was, but it certainly isn't. And, and nuclear power has been shaped in that way too. You're, you're familiar with the Price-Anderson Act uh, basically said that nuclear power, back in 1957 was when it was first passed. Because nuclear power plants, when they first were coming online couldn't get financing because uh, none of the banks wanted to finance them with uh, without uh, because the insurance companies wouldn't finance them. They said they were yeah. they're too dangerous. Now I'm sure they're a lot more safe now, um, but I don't trust necessarily government regulation to bring that safety. I bring them. I, I trust their own personal liability to inspire the safety, and they've right. been shielded from that for a long time. Right. But they've, they've also been shielded by the fear of people when, when thinking about nuclear technology, right? No one, no one wants the nuclear plant in their backyard because, oh my gosh, it's so dangerous, right? And so even, even if they were shielded from the, uh, from the liability, it's, it's hard-pressed to get that past the public as well. So they just, they're just not available. 
And because they, again, you know, you said 1958 when that went into effect? Yeah, but it's been renewed every five years or so uh, ever since. I mean, that's when it first started. But where's the Um, advancement in nuclear technology coming from? Right? How how are you supposed to figure that out and make it safer if no one's putting anything up to test it? If there are no new plants well, or yeah, new technologies being built? I think built? it has advanced a lot. I, I mean, I'm not close to it, so I don't really know, but I'm sure that it's, uh, it has advanced a lot. But they also, I think the people who are fearful have um, some real things to look back on. Uh, not only Chernobyl, but that's that's the, the collapse of the, I mean, the whole Soviet Union and it's and its um, incompetence, but also uh, Japan, you know, with the Fukushima. Fukushima. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, it's it's true. It was a once-in-a-hundred-year type of thing with this tsunami and earthquake all at the same time, which uh, devastated things. But Japan, of all places, uh, could have been, should have been uh, much better at anticipating even those sorts of disasters. And then, of course, that's what's in the public's mind whenever they think of nuclear energy. They think of the uh, of these incidents, which that's were what I'm saying. really calamitous. calamitous you know. Right. So it's, it's you know, odds are not going to happen, even less so in your neighborhood. Um, but that's the only two, right? And like in, the history of, in the history of nuclear technology, it's Chernobyl and Fukushima. Like, that's why we can't have that here. Right, and I guess my suggestion would be if you if you don't build the plants that big, right? Much like five G, if you have uh, smaller facilities serving a smaller market and just more of them, right? The the likelihood of any one of those going down um, is slim already, uh, but it also mitigates the fallout zone, right? It's it's not like it's going to take down you know half of the northeast. I uh, might take out like a little, little little farm town up north, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah, well, whether it's large or small, I, th- I, I think they ought to all uh, be responsible for their own actions. And there's another phenomena of the uh, corporate limited liability that b- troubles me because this, this notion that an investor is only risking what he's put into it, he's shielded by corporation law to, to shield his other personal responsibility, which, uh, of course, removes um, a lot of the risk and encourages a lot of investment. But it also also means that investors don't pay attention to how well things are managed and run. Right. Uh, if they did have to bear responsibility for their managers, they'd be a lot more careful in who they hired and what they did. So let's talk about that for a second, because that I started a conversation on Free Talk Live probably about a month or so ago regarding corporations um, in a free society, right? Like absent the state, how would that look? Um, And I personally take the position uh, that you would see similarly structured businesses uh, in relation to what we consider corporations today. Right. And they said, well, you can't have a corporation because that's a legal phenomenon, um, you know, protection by the state, limited liability. I'm like, got that. Right. But we, uh, you got to give me another word then. Right. Whatever, whatever word means that business structure minus those things. Right. The, the state protection, like give me a word and I'll start using that. But until then, I'll say corporate structure. Uh, you know, uh, Ian, the co-host of Free Talk Live said, well, business structure. I'm like, fine, business structure. I think there will be businesses structured similarly to that of corporations today, uh, even in the absence of the state, uh, because it's difficult for me to envision, uh, and I'll, I'll take responsibility for that, but it's difficult for me to envision large-scale projects being run by one man, right? Like the, the sole proprietor, the mom-and-pop operation. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, right? You're, you're going to have an investment structure, you're going to have, you know, the board of directors. You're going to have, uh, you know, the, the, the presidents and vice presidents all the way down for things that require large organizations to run. Uh, and the example that was thrown out at that time was like airports, right? How are you going to run an airport on a mom and pop, you know, with a mom and pop business structure? You know, you're going to need investors. And then the question then became, uh, are those investors, you know, when, when you talk about liability, Who's liable, 
right? If you have investors, right, you can't just go after the one, the president of the company or the owner of the company or whoever's at the top, right? Because clearly their personal wealth uh, is not going to be nearly as much as the as the investment wealth in the corporation, right? So how do you entice, this is my question now, is how do you entice investors to invest knowing that they will have a share uh, not only in the, the gains and the profits of the corporation, uh, but of the liability as well? Well, you, you, you're either a partner, you're an, you can be, um, I'd say you, you loan to them or you can invest in them. Um, but if you're, if you're a decision maker, meaning you're like a stockholder that has a voting right, then you're a decision maker. Then I think you have to carry the responsibility for your decisions. And it's not just what you put into it. It's, it's what you have, um, to back up your decisions. You know, if you make bad decisions, like for example, the Bhopal accident of Union Carbide in India was an interesting example. Now, there's a lot of uh, legal issues at, at stake in this, but I think that uh, as a basic concept, uh, Bhopal, India caused the deaths of a couple thousand people by uh, spewing some gases and pollutants, toxic toxic chemicals into the air that killed thousands of people and ruined the lives of, of uh, damaged the lives of many thousands more. Um, I think uh, a, a corporation owned by even not in not in India but owned by people in New York where the headquarters was uh, is responsible for that uh, action and I think they would have been much much more careful about their operations if they had been fully accountable for their actions in other words I don't think the accident would have occurred I think that insurance companies would have insured would would have insisted on on a high measure of safety and caution okay and um i think you can I, I think a case can be made that people can be uh compensated to uh accept a certain degree of of liability and risk but that has to be their choice too not right yeah so i i, I hear your example i'm not discounting it but i want to just narrow it down to just the the stockholder with voting privileges yeah right the 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 i'm going to say again the business structure is the the business structure is fully liable for the the damage that they cause in that India uh, event in this example right let's assume that to be true mm-hmm. you then you know you then have to go to the stockholders and say hey we that thing that we voted on that we did and blew up in our faces now everyone's got to cut a check for fifty thousand dollars right mm-hmm. You're, you 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 own stock in this company we blew it pony up the money right to me. That's a hard sell, right? And I would say it's an even harder sell when you think about how that decision would have had to come to be, right? To go to the person who voted against it, right? Eh, we're at the board of stockholders meeting and we're taking a vote on whether or not we're going to go ahead with this project. And you went, I think the risk is too high. I don't really, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and you get outvoted, right? Do you, does every no vote mean you have to like sell off your share, right? Can you still yes. be? Oh, okay. Yes. Because if you're, you know, if you're just accepting the majority rule is not uh, a sufficient defense. You know, if you're accepting, oh, well, I'm going to vote against it. But of course, I'm a party to a majority rule system. It's just like, uh, you know, a, a voter who says, well, I voted. I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for Clinton. Excuse me. I'd say you're you're participating in the voting process. You're also responsible for um for um what the, if you're if you're saying okay i'm going to go along with the with the majority vote that's what majorities do they commit all of us to a path that's uh decided by a majority vote then you're responsible as well so then yes so if you if you vote if you vote no but maintain your share you're on the hook for that you know the whatever your share of liability is in my example exactly 50, because you're expecting okay. to take the gain from it, then you also have to be willing to take the loss. Okay. And again, even in that case, right, to me, that's a, that's a hard sell uh, when you're looking to get investment money, 
Exactly. Right? You, and the, the, it has to be a hard sell because you don't want people to take too lightly uh, risk. Because who's the risk falling on? It's falling on an innocent victim. They didn't take this risk on. Uh, they, they were an innocent party. They have to be made whole. And and you might also say here's another issue. Well, do you do you pay compensation based on how many shares you've got? Oh, well, say one guy has a, a share of stock, but he has no personal wealth beyond it. But another guy has shares of stock, and he's got a lot of other wealth. Uh, I'd say, well, the owner. I mean, the the law would hold a sole proprietor fully accountable for the injury that he caused to people, and I think that has to fall on the on the stockholders as well. And so therefore, I'm, I'm not saying that this these things don't exist in the free market. They do. I think you're right that a corporation type of structure also exists, but it has whole new incentives for involving, before, if you're going to borrow money or get equity money, yeah. you're going to have to uh, let people know that they carry the full responsibility and you're going to have insurance companies cover the risk. And the insurance company is going to be a lot more careful than the government in regulating uh, what that company does. Well, you say that, but you also said insurance. a minute ago, you also said a minute ago that insurance companies wouldn't insure the, the nuclear plants, right? So, at, yeah, at the, at the level of, uh, yeah, they, they, they calculate it, and that's their right, too. They're, an insurance company right. is another company of people who are saying, well, we're putting up money to cover your risk, but... If you can't assure us, and in those days, I don't know what exactly what the figures would be now. In those days, they said that uh, a, a cataclysmic nuclear meltdown could, uh, you know, be catastrophic to not only the loss of property forever uh, in a, in some region, but also to the lives of, of thousands of people. And they just said that's that's too great a risk. We can't cover that, knowing uh, the the uh, uh, the measure of risk involved. So we were, we're not going to insure you. That's their right. In which case, a, a bank saying, well, then we're not going to finance you because uh, um, if if no one's going to cover the risk, we, we don't do that. We, we're not a risk-taking institution where we put out money that uh, our yeah. depositors are giving us. So that's all voluntary uh, action. So the one who's putting together a nuclear power has to really improve their risk um you know, reduce the risk and be much, much, you know, or enhance the reward, enhance the reward to a point where investors, stock, stock purchasers, right, stockholders uh-huh. uh, are are willing to say like, yeah, I think I can cover the risk because I think the the payoff is going to be it. is worth it. Yeah, um, yeah. The other thing that I suggested on on Free Talk Live, um, and I'll run this by you, Ken, since we're having the conversation, was like a tiered structure. Right where there's uh, a tier of stockholders who have like the voting rights um, and carry the liability and therefore get a larger reward uh, when things are done, and there might be a, a a second tier of you know limited liability stockholders. Right, yeah, you you put in your money, but you you know you get smaller dividends. You may not get any dividends at all, um, but you also carry no risk uh, should something go under because you have no decision making power. Yeah. I think that's known as preferred stockholders. Preferred stockholders uh, are expecting to take a, a gain or loss depending on the profits, but they don't have any voting rights. Right. Well, it's not a just a gain or loss. It's it's the liability should you know should it melt down, right? There's going to be like a tier of stockholders who are going to be asked to pony up fifty thousand dollars to cover the the victims, right? And then there's going to be a tier of stockholders who just won't get a check, a dividend check for a few years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the the point. The crucial point is: Are you a decision maker? Then you carry full uh, full liability. And if you're not a decision maker, then you're just um, submitting money. You know. And so I think the whole structure of a corporation might be redone in such a way as to still get the money that they want. Um, it's just Whoa. the decision makers that have to be a lot more careful on how they managed. Okay. Um, let's briefly transition into the voting thing because, uh, I was, I, I have, a uh, one of the co-hosts on free talk live posted this on Facebook, uh, as well. And so it's not related to the show, but kind of is, um, whether or not there's, uh, there's, uh, how did he phrase it? Oh, I'm not going to look it up. Like some, some sort of 
complicity or honorable thing in voting. Um, and then I was listening to the the uh, this past Monday night's edition of Free Talk Live, um, and I think that's why he posted it because he says he votes uh, libertarian whenever possible as a as a throwaway protest vote, right? Like he doesn't expect them to win, so in his mind, uh, it's just a a vote to show that I want more freedom and more liberty, and I don't think I'm going to get that from the other two candidates. Uh, and my personal thing was similar to what you just said, Ken, which is that there's an expectation of outcomes, right? Should you win, uh, you expect all other people to abide by the result of that vote. Um, and to me, it's disingenuous and, you know, dishonorable even, um, to, you know, to cast that vote, um, and then not abide by the outcomes, uh, should you lose it. So where do where do you fall on, Mm -hmm. on that? That's a good, good point. And I, uh, you, you, uh, that's a great thing to, uh, to observe because I did say that and I didn't, and as I was saying it, I was thinking, well, do I hold myself to the same standard on the <laughs> national election? I've always viewed it in the past that I voted as a form of self-defense, you know, that sure. ballots are better than bullets. Uh, if you're trying to stop, um, state interventions, well, you vote against it as the first step and then voting against it does that then obligate me to accept uh, the system once uh, the majority has has, uh, consented, as I've said with with regard to corporations? Well, I don't agree that it... I've never felt like it uh, obliged me to accept what the state did just because Democrats and Republicans voted uh, for it or accepted it. I think they've rigged the system in order to make it very difficult for libertarians even to, to, to have a vote. Or, um, but maybe and I would right. su- I, I would maybe. suggest that if it doesn't obligate you to do it in your own mind, right, then it, it's a superfluous move and unnecessary to begin with, right? If you're not going to abide by the outcomes, just don't play that game, right? If it's if it's I'm only going I'm only going to abide the outcomes if we win, and I'm not going to abide the outcomes if we lose, then don't enter that game. Just go on doing what you're doing as if you were losing. That way, you, there's no like moral imperative to abide at all to begin with. Yeah, that's a that's a good strong argument. On on the other hand, I like the platform it, it, since um, the election process is a way of of uh, asserting points of view, and that without that platform, it just gets ignored or or dismissed or not even heard. I, I I've always thought of it as a platform where you can um, counter the arguments of the status and say that this is a reason not to accept them and and but on the other hand so many even libertarian candidates are not consistently i mean i've always thought that they that every libertarian to join the party had to sign the non-aggression pledge um but i don't think they really most of them even know what that means or they can't follow it through certainly all of the libertarian presidential candidates that i can think of have compromised on that they've accepted some uh um, they, they've signed the pledge, but then they go ahead and advocate policies that are compromises. Right. Um, Especially in recent el- election cycles on the national scale. Yeah. From, yeah. from the Libertarian Party. Now, there's one guy that's running this year, Bumper Hornberger, who I've always considered to be extremely consistent and principled. And um, uh, I think that he's pretty good on that. I think he's one of these principled ones but there again if he's really um principled uh, maybe he won't get elected but uh, i mean nominated by the party because the party tends to be watered down as time goes along it's not quite like yes. the original party that really took seriously that non-aggression pledge right well the recent w- within the last few months uh there was uh, i i guess it was satire um, but there was a post uh, on social media talking about the libertarian wing of the libertarian party. And I was like, well, what kind of nonsense is that? Right. Oh, the, the, these are the real libertarians within the libertarian party that has been watered down. Um, but I want to just uh, we're, we're getting to the end of the show. So I'm, I'm going to try to get this point out and then maybe get your final thoughts on it. And um, please, let's include MC. I feel badly that that he's not been uh, uh, able to no, talk. I- in private, he's I, told me he likes it when you run the show, Ken. <laughs> I enjoy the show. Sit, he sits it out when, when you're on. So <laughs> if, if you want to jump in, MC, you know how to interrupt. Um, so uh, I want to I want to separate 
um, the the running of candidates with the act of voting, uh, because from a platform perspective, from an ideas perspective, I have no problem with uh, running with uh, people running as libertarians um, or running for office uh, in order to use the platform to get the message out. To me, that's a strategic move. Um, and then you have like, you know, uh, Adam Kokesh, Kokesh 2020, who says like, if elected, I will on day one abolish the federal government uh, and, you know, act as, you know, a, uh, like a bankruptcy uh, arbitrator to, to divvy up the, the, the assets, right? Uh, so for, from my perspective, like, yeah, go ahead. You can, you can support that policy position. You can get that on the national stage as best you can, uh, maybe not in debates, but through media. Um, but then you, you still don't have to go through the act of voting, which, which again, in my opinion, should obligate you to abiding by the results, right? So you go like, we're, we're using, we're using the libertarian party or whatever party as a platform to promote ideas, right? To promote the principles of liberty, uh, and that I don't think that then obligates you to cast a vote, uh, and it definitely doesn't obligate you to uh, abide by the the results of the vote just because you're running a candidate. Your thoughts? I think you've made a very good argument. I think you've just caused me to rethink whether or not I'm going to vote this year. <laughs> <laughs> good, good progress. Yeah. I think yeah, I, I, mean, I think I ran that by Lee at one point too, and I don't know. I don't know if she's a, still there. on a principled point of view. That that makes point. I, I think on a what they call is the pragmatic view as well. Uh, the, the 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 in a in a electoral process uh, credibility from the voter is so much dependent on numbers, uh, but we don't have the numbers anyway. We might as well just, right. uh, um, but on the other hand, uh, they've, they've got this criteria in order to be on the ballot. You've got to show a certain percentage of votes in a statewide election. Um, sure. But you don't even have to be uh, on the ballot. You just, you know, I'm, I am running and then see how much, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the person that I was talking to is his, his name is now nobody. He was a candidate for mayor in Keene. He's now a candidate for governor in New Hampshire as nobody. Um, and it's a protest candidacy, right? Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. going to, if he gets on the ballot, it's because um, you, or it's to allow people the opportunity to vote for nobody, right? Who do you want to be your governor? Nobody. We don't need one, right? Um, but, but getting on the ballot isn't even the goal, right? He gets radio gigs. Uh, he gets radio interviews. He gets media attention. He gets articles in the newspaper because it's a protest candidacy that has nothing to do with the actual act of voting. So getting on the ballot is irrelevant, even more so after the fact, because if you don't get on the ballot, right, then you can argue even more uh, that your position is strong, uh, because look at these two parties keeping us off, even though this was your opportunity to vote for nobody. From, from an activist perspective, it's, you know, it's like you, you know you're going to get shut out anyway, right? It's how do you convert that loss to a win to recruit more activists to help out with the non-voting, non-political uh, activities that go on. Okay, look at it from the individualist, anarchist point of view. Your freedom of speech is to say, I like this candidate and what he says. Um, and I'm going to mark a little thing on this box. I've made no agreement with anybody that I will abide by anything that the other, that the winning candidate uh, will do I'm just saying I like this guy and I want uh, I haven't been running for office I just want to support that statement and make it stronger with uh, this little X on this box but right. I've never signed anything anywhere that agrees to abide by the outcome of this election what do you think about that I consider it a tacit agreement because it's, it's it goes back to the expectation of outcomes if you check the box and he wins, as minimal of a as minimal chances that has, right? You expect everyone else to abide by that outcome. Okay, and that's with a the, good with, point. With the that's expectation of outcomes and with everyone playing the same game, right? If we win, we're in control. Um, you can't say that uh, if we if I check the box, I'm not playing this game, right? If you don't want to play the game, don't check the box. Yeah, right. good point. Su and the checking the box on their piece of paper is, in a sense, a kind of um, signing the document. 
it's not a it's not a agree. contract it's not you know it's not, it's not an overt statement like i agree to the terms and conditions of the voting mm-hmm. apparatus mm-hmm. uh you know i i get that but tacitly it's it's based on in my my argument is that it's based on the expectation of outcomes and if, if you, you don't expect s- to win and mm-hmm. you have no chance of winning and you're not going to buy by the outcome anyway skip the step of checking the box go do something more productive and if you want to say you you support this guy and all that he stands for do it in other ways other than signing, you know, the checking that box. Grab a bullhorn, um, post it on social media, do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good point. Uh, Whole different well, game than checking the box Rich, on their I'd paper. Have to, I have to say you've, you've just uh, saved me uh, um, uh, a morning at the, uh, at the balloting office. Good. Do something yeah. more productive with your time, Ken. <laughs> sure it'll be useful. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. That's a, uh, you know, I'm going to call that a win for myself. <laughs> if, if you truly stay away from the ballot box, we'll see. It's it's nine months till November. <laughs> follow yeah. follow up with me then. Uh, <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts from you, MC? Mm, nope. All right. Any any final thoughts from you, Ken? No, no, that's good. All right, let's wrap this sucker up. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us: anarchistexperience.com, uh, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience for the new outlet for uh, anarchist experience content on eh, social media that's the telegram channel and group Um, also on float.app because why not Uh, they take crypto and so we're going to be there for a little bit see what happens there Uh, and as always if you'd like to contribute to the show financially uh, we're still on patreon so let's do it there patreon.com slash the anarchist experience thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week peace aloha